0: All right. All right. Well, welcome and welcome back to Unapologetically Black Unicorns. And as usual, I have a wonderful, splendiferous, fantastic, fantabulous, any other adjectives anybody could think of, guest. And it's somebody who's new to me that um, I met at a, a recovery peer summit meeting and was like, yep. Yeah, we have to have this conversation on UVU. So I invited Stancil Toodle to join me and I am going to let Toodle, since that's what he goes by, introduce himself.
1: Good evening, afternoon, morning, whenever you are listening. Uh, My name is Stancil Toodle uh, and I'm a blind, black male and I daughter and I'm in long-term recovery 33 years uh I am a father I got five kids husband a brother uncle uh a lifelong advocate uh and uh I'm country and uh I'm glad to to be here, I'm looking forward to also getting to know my host better because just like she said, we recently met and here we are.
0: Yeah, here we are. And um, snaps, claps, thumbs up to the 33 uh, years in long-term recovery. So I'll uh, probably have uh, the producer throw in some um, applause there for you um, and for everybody who's uh, you know reaching um, their recovery and you know when when I met you, nobody's ever come up to me and said, you know, I'm just a a black, a black man from the country. I was like, okay, but wait, what? <laughs> okay, wait a second, hold on. So, uh, but but it's an it's an important conversation to have. I mean, there are so many intersections here, and that's why I um, you know really wanted to delve in deeper and have more time with you and and share this conversation with our listeners because it's not often we. Talk about or work intentionally first um, cross disability, right? So you're blind, you're black, you live in recovery, and your country, as you say. So, tell me a little bit about like how all of this came to be that you know you came to be such an advocate and a, and a long time advocate. And talk a little bit about your work.
1: I have what they call congenital cataracts, so I have a birth d Both of my parents were blind. My daddy was involved in community activism. Matter of fact, I can remember uh, back in the 70s, Jesse Jackson came to our house. Dick Gregory came to our house, and uh, usually around election time, whoever was running a public office would come by my parents' house and talk with my daddy. And my siblings always said that uh, I got spoiled because uh, I was always present when those conversations were going on. And my, my daddy taught us all that you got an obligation to speak up. And you got an obligation to be concerned about your community. I had a brother who was also blind. Uh, He passed last year. Mm. Uh, I can't remember asking my daddy once at a time, why do you say yes, sir, and no, sir, to people 20 and 30 years younger than you are? Well, more specifically? Why do you say that to white folks? Mm-hmm. And my daddy said, "I said, so when y'all get grown, you ain't y'all ain't gotta say it unless you just want to say it." But we was also taught that you gotta be the voice. Don't be too scared to say what you think, which which makes for a good advocate, I think. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think so, too. But, um, you know, and I think, too, about, you know, my father and, and mother as examples, you know, to me and my brother, as well as, you know, having to advocate, you know, for ourselves, you know, you have a voice, your voice counts, and your perspectives count. And so that's something that my mom and dad would show up in a school in a heartbeat, if they saw <laughs> if they saw something like, you know, teachers trying to put us in classes that, you know, were less than and all that kind of stuff, it's like, uh, no, no, they would show up and say, uh-uh, that is not even going to happen. So, you know, we, we really did learn um, from our parents about, you know, how to be good advocates as well. So, you know, when you got into sort of the work of, of advocacy, I mean, seeing it as like part of what you're doing, that also included being part of the, you know, recovery movement. And by the way, I want to say first, before I forgot to say something, I saw you and your brother, or did I hear you and your brother? I can't remember if I saw it on a YouTube or heard it, can't remember. But um, at the end of the day, uh, uh, your brother who passed away, I didn't know he passed away last year. So I'm sorry to hear that because that was a beautiful, beautiful interview with you and your brother. Just really enjoyed learning more about you and your family and your work and your advocacy. So um, sorry about the passing of your brother.
1: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, uh because the other piece, uh, like I said, by my brother being blind also, we were sent to a residential sh- school for blind folks. So uh, we were more closer than with all of the other s- siblings and stuff because mm-hmm. uh, throughout the year, we were 200 miles away from home. Mm -hmm. He was four years older than me, but we were the team. We were the team. Once he came in, you know, people say that come them toodle boys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So so tell me about your recovery journey a little bit.
1: (laughs) Uh, Oh like I said 33 years I went into treatment to hide. I didn't go into treatment because I wanted to stop using drugs. I went into treatment to hide because I had them got into some trouble and some people were looking for me. When I was using, I had tried to quit several times because uh, another thing that my parents taught us is by... You being blind and by you being black, you got to work twice as hard as the average person if you want the same type type of recognition that the average person gets. And so that really made me strive to be an overachiever. And so when I wanted to stop using crack, I tried every method that I could think of and none of them worked for me so i had came to the conclusion that i was just gonna die using drugs so i went into treatment to hide so i could figure out what was gonna be my next move because i'm a smart man and if i can't figure out how to quit doing drugs it must not be possible Mm -hmm. So, so i went into treatment and Ran into about three other black folks that was in treatment and or in, in any type of recovery group at that time. This was in nineteen ninety, rural southwest Georgia. Over thirty years ago, it was rough, and so my objective when with recovery in the beginning was to free. Those are the black people that I ran into who have been brainwashed by the 12-step model, which is what my foundation is built on. And so my decision was, if you want to prove that something don't work, work it. So I dived into the 12 steps, and I tried to follow it to the best of my ability, so I could figure out what the trick was, so I could call them people at 60 minutes and have them <laughs> to, to come down here and so I can show them that these black folks been brainwashed and here's the trick. Mm. 33 years later. You you, you still try to find a trick. (laughs) No, well, I quit looking for the trick because, well, some things that I learned after coming into recovery is that most black people in rural areas that find recovery, if they truly want to be successful, most of them move to where there are more recovery supports that that are friendly. Mm-hmm. I don't personally know of nobody who has stopped using drugs besides religious people. And I mm-hmm. God I sure didn't want no part of that religious stuff because, because of what I thought a about religion. So mm-hmm. once I found out that by following those 12 steps I didn't want to use dope no more, but more importantly, hell, I was happy as hell. Mm. And so, so why quit? You know, why stop following that process? Right, right. So, and uh, you know, so recovery is is the best thing that ever happened to me. And if I wouldn't have had the advocacy skills that I was taught. Prior to finding recovery, I don't think I would have made it in recovery because I came in knowing what I needed or what type of accommodations I needed. And I wasn't afraid to say, hey, this is what I need. You know, here is where you can can go get it from. Back then, there was no such thing as uh, the Internet or digital info and stuff and the treatment center that I went to, they were really hesitant about letting me come there. Mm-hmm. You know, because they were talking, about, you know, I was gonna be a liability issue. Right, Hell, right. I I've been using a white cane since I was about seven, eight years old. <laughs> you know, so I'm independent. You know, but here's what I need from y'all, and let me do what I need to do.
0: You know this is this is such a common story in a way. um the the part around not seeing people who look like us accessing their recovery. I mean, I had that same the exact same thing where I was kind of like getting a diagnosis of schizophrenia, kind of looking around and trying to find other people with a similar diagnosis or people in the public mental health system who who look like me, who are doing better, and going to all these um. Recovery conferences and everybody up on stage was was white, and I'm and everybody in the audience, majority were black people. I think that's a a common story, and and I'm I'm wondering too, like when I think about the recovery movement, both on the mental health and substance use and or both, that intersection of disability, like where is it?
1: Very important question. Uh, like I said, I've been in recovery for thirty three years, and. I've been able to travel. I have been able to be in in a whole lot of recovery spaces. And I've always been wondering where are my Black people, but also where are my disabled people? Where are the people with the physical, sensory or cognitive disabilities in those spaces? Mm-hmm. why aren't they leaders why aren't they giving speeches why aren't their stories being told in my mind that's a little bit based on how whether we like it or not recovery still kind of mirrors society yes because now this is the Toodle's theory that people with disabilities remind some able-bodied people of how one day you're going to eventually join me.
0: Uh-huh. If you
1: live long enough, you're going to need some assistance from somebody to help take care of you.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Look at this movement, this DEI stuff. hmm uh-huh. You know, that's so ableistic till it ain't even damn funny. Because it only deals with race Mm -hmm. and gender. Mm -hmm. People with disabilities are the largest minority group in this country. And I got some real good friends, I think, (laughs) that are, quote, DEI experts. And they be going around talking and doing trainings about that stuff and when I ask them about well, hey, uh, when you're going to include people with disabilities in this DEI stuff, they say things like, you know, well, uh, that's another topic. How in the hell is this another topic that we're talking about diversity, inclusion? Yeah. It goes back to even though we want to make you uncomfortable because you you got some jacked up racial policies, but we don't want to make make you uncomfortable because you got some ableistic policies.
0: Well, we're going to make people uncomfortable. That is our job. That's what adv- that's what activists and advocates do. Uh, if we stay in our comfort zone, we're never going to grow, right? We just had this conversation on a statewide project I've been working on here in California, and the project was you know, focused on race equity for a particular reason, yet I realized as we were kind of working on it and kind of looking at how people were talking about people with psychiatric disabilities, Mm -hmm. I was like, wait a minute, nope, we're going to have to reframe this thing. Um, And here we are a year later and I was like, oh man, now I'm just like figuring this out that we have to reframe it. And so um, it's still an equity uh, project. But the frame now is through disability justice. So when you frame it through disability justice, you get all of these intersections of race, gender, ableism, sanism, you get the whole nine yards of it, but it's framed through that disability frame versus through like the race frame first. So I think people have a hard time holding more than one thing in their brain at one time, you know what I mean, Um, in general. And I think intersectionality and things like disability justice means you have to hold a bunch of things in your mind at the same time. You have to hold um, disability and racism and sexism. You know, you have to deal with it all at the same time. It's not that's over there. And this one's over here. We'll deal with that later. That's sort of my thought about it too. Karis Myrick's thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, yeah. You have your your thought, right? And then it's like yeah. Karis has her thought, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah you, you know, because uh, whether we like it or not. More and more people are coming in, or people are coming out of their houses with more intersectionalities. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things that we often talk about in in the disability community is just like you said, you know, disability can affect every other group.
0: In the world,, mm-hmm. you know, I've been thinking also about, you know, your work broadly in the community. Um what I see behind you um on on your screen is a register educate vote. um and so which tells me that you're also doing things in the community to make sure that people's uh, voices counted via their vote. Which is another piece to me about, you know, disability justice and how ensuring too people with disabilities have the ability to vote, right? And accessibility to to, to vote. So tell me a little bit about some of some of that work. I, I think we talked about this when, when we were at that recovery meeting together too.
1: The political process that covers all of my other all of my intersectionalities also. Uh the vote is your voice and for so many years so many people were locked out of using that power if you don't vote number one like they always say you really don't have a a reason to say nothing but also if you can vote you have an obligation to do your research but going back to the largest minority group in this country, people with disabilities are the largest minority voting bloc in this country. Mm-hmm. But uh, most of us don't vote. Or if we vote, you know, uh, we don't play an active role in the political process. So we encourage disabled people to become more active And we also encourage people to tell other folks Mm -hmm. about the power of the vote, but also to educate people about different issues. Don't let your mama tell you what is important to you or, or don't let your neighbor tell you that Sam Smith is the best candidate for your city council. You do your research. Go to your council meetings and do your part, because if people had their way, they would make sure that some of my disabled brothers and sisters would be kept in the house. You're such an asset to
0: your community. I'm just sitting here kind of going, oh, my gosh. okay, wow. Wow. Just really blown away by by your work and, um, you know, being able to have this conversation and you realizing the other thing that we had talked about um when we were there at that meeting, you know we both talked about being podcasters and um any advice to people about uh, because I know where to get the information as far as like what makes for an accessible website. So I know where to go to get that information. You know, I know in the in the recovery um community in particular, you know now nowadays when people are introducing themselves, they're doing um, you know descriptions of themselves and their background, which I did not start this meeting with. We just jumped in, but um, you've heard me describe myself. I still that same person, and
1: my background is blurred out. But anyway, yeah, so you know what? Yeah, you know what? Uh, let's talk about that for just a minute. Yeah,
0: let's, because I have mixed I have mixed information about that whole situation. Well.
1: It's one of them type deals, I guess, the best way to describe it is, uh, (laughs) it's best to ask. (laughs) But but now, here's my issue with this people describing their self. Number one, are you going to tell me the information? I want to know. You know, and... Are you going to tell me, like, if you got a mole on the side of your jaw and I'm wearing a beige shirt and and behind me are pictures of blah, 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 blah. Now, if that information don't have nothing to do with what we're going to be talking about, what's the point? Mm, That stuff is useless. Mm. Mm. Unless we're talking about fashion. Or, you know, unless we're talking about makeup, you know, mm-hmm. what's the what's the point? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, under normal circumstances, if we were face to damn face, I still wouldn't know how your ass looks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so I think that that was a, a bunch of seeing people mm-hmm. got together and said, you know, let's do this because this, this would help those people that can't see.
0: What is most important? I mean, I think there's the face-to-face, like what's important. And then there's, I, I think some of this to me also cropped up during Zoom, right? Where yeah. Or on Zoom. And um, that's where at least I had more introduction to people doing this, you know, kind of self-description sort of stuff. and And yeah. to me, then the question is, what is important? Like what's important. Yeah. Right?
1: yeah. 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 You know, because prior to Zoom, you never saw no speaker at the podium describing their self because it, do, it didn't have nothing to do with their presentation.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You
1: know, but it's an instant feel good for people that can see that they are, quote, being more accommodating. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I just don't see the use in it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I, I got some other blind folk who don't cuss me out when I vocalize that too, you know, because <laughs> so you know, but uh that's Tootles theory.
0: Tootles theory. Okay. Yeah. We're going to have to call this podcast Tootles Theory. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think I think for me the thing that um you know, I, I, I do want to be most cognizant of during meetings, whether it be on Zoom or in person, but I think, you know, is, and, and maybe I'm lucky that I have somewhat of a distinctive voice that people are able to put my voice to my name. So mm-hmm. even if you can't see me from afar, or if I'm not on screen, or if you can't see me at all, that, um, you know, when you hear this voice, it is attached to this name, Karis. So, um, and and I know it, t- it might take people a little while. So I say, oh, this is Karis talking. This is Karis. <laughs> Even when I'm off screen, I will say, oh, this is Karis. And then I'll say what I have to say. So people can place like, where is that, you know, disembodied voice coming from? You know what I mean? That's that's, that's different.
1: Yeah. That's now to, to call, to say your name when you're speaking. Now that is appropriate. Mm. Mainly, you know, because like on Zoom, whenever a person is speaking, and what I have been told, their name pops up. Mm-hmm. So if you are the speaker, you know, it is appropriate to say what your name is. And usually, even when I attend meetings in person, and I've been doing this for years, I always ask, if it all possible, whenever somebody is talking in the room, could you say what your name is so I can associate a name with A voice. Mm -hmm. Now, that's that's totally different from Mm -hmm. describing Mm -hmm. what you got on or how you look. Like I say, you ain't going to tell me nothing that's relevant to what I want to know. Yeah. And the only other thing I might do,
0: because I, ha- I because of my distinctive voice, I will identify my gender, because some people mm. don't know what my gender is, because my voice can either be that of yeah.
1: a man, yeah. or it
0: could be that of a woman, or it could be that. So I, I do that just because it, it if you don't know who I am, um, as a matter of fact, somebody... Is texting me, did you change your gender? I was like, what? <laughs> what, 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 what gender am I now? Like, what's what's going on? Well, they called you a he, and I'm like, Okay, well, then they don't know me, and they probably just heard my voice and may assume that I was male. You know, again, no harm, no foul. I, I get how that can happen.
1: You got a real good radio voice, too. You, oh, thank you. you. I have you been you told, have good, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. have been told. I um, may need you to, I may need for you to make me some commercials because I also. I, I own an inter, a internet radio station. So uh, okay. I'm mean, so, so All right, talk bad. to us. <laughs> you got an
0: audience here who wants to know about your internet radio station. So you have the platform. Tell us about it.
1: Called <laughs> Third Eye Radio Network. We can be found on Get Me Radio. We can be found on OOtunes. We can be found on Live 365. I'm a music connoisseur. The only thing closer than my brother to me throughout my life has been music. Mm-hmm. I love music. I love you. And in my spaces, there's always music playing. Always. Mm-hmm. That's how it was at my daddy's house, too. So uh there's no telling what you're gonna hear on Third Eye Radio. So it's, it's all stuff that I personally picked out and loaded up there. And, um, and I'm legal. <laughs> and, and so- You're and legal,
0: I, okay. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. thank God you said that, right? So thank you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we'll I'll take royalties and stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, definitely. We'll check it out and we'll make sure that uh, all of the links are in the um, description and make everything accessible. Okay,
1: got it. Yeah. And uh, we're gonna and you're gonna have to come on my podcast.
0: All right. Or... That's exactly how <laughs> that works. That's exactly how, um so share and share alike. So as we're um getting ready to wrap up, um, there's one thing that I ask all of my guests to do. I call it wisdom dropping. I have no idea where I came up with that, but that's what it is. And it's just an opportunity for you to share that one piece of wisdom that you didn't share or that you know you want to make sure are you know our audience um has if it's an action step anything. So what's your wisdom dropping before
1: we um log off here? Well, I end all of my shows, dj shows, my my podcast, everything with uh, be good to yourself, be good to each other, and please be good to this planet..
0: Mm-mm snaps, claps, thumbs up. Thank you so much, Toodle, for joining me on Unapologetically Black Unicorns. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Peace, y'all.
0: All right. Peace out. And, uh, you know, for our, our listeners, y'all know where to find us. You know what you're supposed to do. The, the producer says, comment, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And, and I think the most important thing to do is to share the podcast with others. There are going to be people who need to hear the messages that Toodle shared and hear the conversation. So make sure to share. And until then, we'll see you next time on Unapologetically Black Unicorns.